When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hi, Joe. Hi, Joshua. Ah, look at us. You look like Naughty Pine. You look like (laughs) the the light of the season is slowly waning. (laughs) You're, Uh, you know, you're the the new supreme is rising. I know, I know. Well, Halloween. Has ended. <laughs> twenty twenty two. It is now over, and we are getting, you know, well, as of this recording, making it to your earballs, dear listener. Yes. Uh, the the Halloween is over. Yes. Uh, but for now, we still have a little bit of time left before I turn back into um, a pumpkin. Well, I was going to say like a little curmudgeon, but I think I'm that all the time. It's fine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hate to tell oh, you this. Man, I tell you. But yeah, so today on the podcast, we are taking some time to celebrate and mourn, you know, the death of an icon, someone who has haunted the the screen for 40 some years. R.I.P. Angela was, Lansbury. Yes. And I was actually going to say Leslie Jordan. So, oh, well. <laughs> So one, we, one, because, well, Angela Lansbury haunted really, the screen for like ninety years. I kind of thought you were going to say Mike Myers, Michael Myers. But. No, I see that that was the joke. Was that's who I was talking about? But then I was going to say Leslie Jordan, oh, our oh. sissified queen mm-hmm. who uh, passed. So no, I actually thought we'd start there because as a uh, you know a podcast with a queer perspective, uh, even though Leslie Jordan didn't do a lot of horror that I know of. I, I th- he was in one of the Jason films um, as Shelby uh. way back in the day. Um, yeah. I'll have to show you that a clip from that just for, just for fun. Did he get killed? It's delightful. I'm, I believe so. I haven't seen that movie in a long, it's terrible. It's okay. like, yeah, one of the, but anyways, not the point. Uh, so, well, I guess that is the point. He did do some horror, but um, you know, I think as like queer people, we don't have many representations of like full out, like sissiness in the yes. sense of like, you know, and I'm using that not, I don't mean that derogatorily. This is like a, you know, a, like an archetype within queerdom when we, yeah. when we discuss the different ways that uh, queer men in particular are expected to present. And obviously in our world that we live in, it's very, you know, mask for masks, no femmes, no this. No fat. No, right. Well, no exactly. Asians. And certainly no femme fat Asians. No, no, <laughs> no. No kimchi, no, you know, right. no fat oh. femme and Asian. Poor kimchi. Uh, you know, but anyways, I, 
I my my first introduction to Leslie Jordan, I really do think is probably seeing him as brother. No, you know what? I saw Sorted Lives after Will after he started appearing on Will and Grace. I think so. That was probably my first real introduction to him was on Will and Grace as Beverly Leslie. Wait, wait. So hold on. So what you're saying is that like for the street cred, it's Sorted Lives, but the honest answer is Will and Grace. Well, no, I mean I don't think it's like. I mean, I'm talking about when I was like 15, 16. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. of course I hadn't seen, yeah. you know, everything. But some, but of course I am most beloved to him as being brother boy. That's like such an important, like iconic uh, role, especially for people who grew up either, you know, in the South or whose family was from the South, which is like my, you know, a lot of the mm-hmm. inherited ideas about the world come from Southern Baptists. Uh, so that film always really resonated with me. And Brother Boy, not so much like, I mean, I wasn't like Brother Boy. I wasn't like Ty either. I, I don't know who. I was LaVonda, actually, in the big <laughs> yellow. Like, that's me. <laughs> that's who I most resonate with, I think, in that in the, in the, in that film. Who's, but, the, who's the one... Um, Who's the one with the rubber band? Oh, uh, Sissy. Yes, <laughs> oddly enough, I re- I relate to Sissy. You're sissy, yeah. the, the anxious like one that's just trying to keep everybody together. Yes, that's me. <laughs> I have quit smoking. <laughs> uh, I do not need this ang- this stress right now. Uh, but anyways, I was just it was heartbreaking to hear about his death uh this uh you know well now it's been a couple of weeks as of the uh date of this airing of this release of this uh episode. Mm-hmm. Uh but I was really in shock and really really saddened by his death and one of those things that's just like kind of like we were just talking about El- Anton Yelchin. Like what like just a horrible tragic Yeah accident you know and for something to at least as far as we know like it sounds like he had a heart attack or some sort of medical event that caused him to wreck his car uh so just tragic heartbreaking awful especially in this time where he he'd been having this like major renaissance and kind of being reintroduced to people that didn't really know who he was because they're following him on instagram um you know and he kind of got a lot of us through the <laughs> the pandemic with oh fuck yeah <laughs> yeah and so it's just it just adds this whole other layer of like tragedy to it and then as i've been reflecting this week about like queer iconography, you know, when you think of like, I was thinking about um, like, you know, Paul Lind and then like the character of Jack McFarland and, you know, and these sorts of like, quote unquote, like sissy types. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a lot of bravery and a lot of courage to be like that, to be so a thousand percent yourself in a world that really hates the feminine in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so I always am just really in awe of people who can just completely be themselves. And, you know, I mean, he's on Instagram twirling a baton and like, you know, recalling being this like little, you know, effeminate boy very proudly and very like, you know, he just really embraced this kind of side of queer, of queerness that doesn't really get embraced in this. Like, I think it does if it's like, drag or gender bending you know we a lot of times those characters that are like that nowadays are kind of more there's like a a cross section with drag it's not necessarily that they're yeah like jack was or like you know leslie jordan was in real life um they're they're kind of they have to add another like element to them in a way i mean maybe you have a better because you have a broader stuff outside of horror maybe you know some more like sissy type characters. Well, you know, you're correct in saying that you're correct in saying that folks who are 
doing those types of characters are presenting um it's it's part of their it's part of their performance in terms of like the academic performance studies right gender like performance right the, right the part yeah. of that yes you know the part of that gender yeah. are performance. we bringing Judith Butler to the conversation <laughs> did we just invite Judith Butler in Judith in the, is Judith in the chat Judith are you here um, are you Where with the us fuck is Judith Butler <laughs> are you with us are you with us now um, so it's part of that gender performance but there are definitely people uh, it's interesting to see like modern homosexual performers lgbtq performers that like embrace um i think they're I, I i dare i say it's like they're embracing sissy they're embracing swish and like would uh, like proudly call themselves like embracing like faggotry right like that <laughs> right <laughs> like the that flaming the fans of faggotry or fanning the flames of faggotry <laughs> um i have a so i have a story about that okay so like remind me to re- like, don't let us cut to the next thing without me telling you okay. about margaret cho and carl lagerfeld um, oh i love that bit yeah, so, so good. The but that's the thing is that they you know, they're fanning fanning the fames of the faggotry, and I think that Leslie Jordan was like a huge part of that. I mean, mm-hmm. to your point, Joshua, like I, I don't like, you know, celebrity deaths. It's like for me, is always like, oh no, like we're right. never going to get, um, we're never going to get what they could have done, right? Right. But with in reflecting, like people who the the kind of memorials that he's been getting on social um have been really fascinating and it's just all people where like the i remember reading something a long time ago where it's like people who are femme presenting who are swish are sissy like they are choosing authenticity over safety and it's that I, right. and it's the idea that like those people are choosing most most of them you know men um, but like are presenting in this very uh, in, in that very high femme way are choosing authenticity over safety. And for me, this is one of those things where like we've talked about it where it's like if I could be if I could do it all again, I could re- if I would be reincarnated, I'd be reincarnated gayer. Right. Yeah. I'm faggier everything. Like- <laughs> because it's like I for whatever reason cannot bring myself um, I'm always kind trying to unpack my own my own buy-in into cis masculinity. I'm right. constantly by uh, constantly uh, interrogating that. I'm constantly uh, stretching the boundaries of my own gender performance um, in the world and what that means. Uh, until I'm and I I don't think I'm there yet. I think I'm like I think I'm. Uh, it's also related to like the body politic and like for me, you know, there's a lot of, I give a lot of body. (laughs) So that takes up a lot of the politic. Uh, But if I could do it all again, I'd be, I'd be fucking gayer. And like seeing Leslie Jordan on Will and Grace, having it be like something that my sister, my older sister and I shared our love of Will and Grace and not knowing in that moment that she was like an ally to me, Uh, long before I came out or she came out or whatever is just like, yeah, it's a a light is the, the world is a little less brighter. Uh, Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He was just such a, a unique uh, force in a way in, in, in our current pop culture landscape. Obviously lots of us know men like that uh, Mm -hmm. have, have known, you know, in our lives as queer people, um, 
and they, you know, exist. He exists in, in lots, you know, uh, that, that uh, idea, you know, or whatever I'm trying to say, that identity, that performance, all of that. Um, but that really resonates with me too. Like the, the idea of like being more gay. I was talking about this in, in class in my, I have a diversity class, um, in, in family uh, therapy. And, uh, I was trying to explain that you know, that idea. We've talked about that a lot on here about like what straight people think queer people want. And, um, when I see younger like kids now, like they're just like, for me, it's like, I'm older, you know, I have my own thoughts and ideas about my own body and kind of the way I look and similarly like my own buy-ins to masculinity and to safety. But there are times where I see like these 16, 17, 18 year old kids where I'm like, ah, if I was your age, that that's who I want to be. I want to be that kid right there. You know, who is like, a lot more uh, you know, blended in their gender experience, a lot more, less of the binary. I would have yeah. definitely been, you know, I think one of these like makeup kids on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. I just think, I think I would have, I would be embracing a lot of that if I was that age. And again, if I was yeah. living in a place where that was okay. I mean, if I was still living in Ohio, maybe I wouldn't have that experience, yeah. but I see kids, especially here in yeah. California and San Diego, whose gender expression is poof, just Oddly. beyond. Oddly enough, I think I've had I've had this thought uh, a lot lately where it's like I I feel like if I had stayed on Guam, I would be more swish, more um uh, oh, here comes Auntie Joe. Yeah, I'd be like, "Hi. <laughs> Hello everybody." Um because like even when so remember I told you I you know, weeks ago I took my family to the scaregrounds, right? I like was I was me, but I also felt like I was like a version. Like I, I was still kind of negotiating my comfort about being like you know Gunkle Joe, right? And you know not showing up in like uh, not showing up in my like Stevie Nicks shawl twirling, being like, "Hello, everybody, mm. we're gonna get scared," <laughs> you know. <laughs> huh. I mean, that kind of is me. Like when I went back home, like to visit, that is kind of how they're all like, <laughs> "It's yeah. not Halloween," you know. It's like, like, "Ooh, the circus! The circus came to town." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and I know my little nephew has been asking when when they're going to come back here, when they're going to come back oh. to to Uncle Josh's house. Uncle, that they all call me Josh instead of Joshua, and I allow it. Yeah, well, you know they they've known you, they've right. they've been known you. So yeah, so we'll see as they get older. Maybe I can get the Joshua out of them, but for now they're younger, so whatever. Yeah, we all um, have our family names. We do, and we just have to accept it. Uh, but anyways, I did. I just wanted to take a moment because you know. Even though we're a horror podcast, although I did look it up, so he played Shelby and Jason Goes to Hell, which is its own vibe, its own journey. Okay, I hesitate to ever call anything. Okay, you know, it just it's it's its own thing. But Leslie Jordan plays Shelby, and he does die. He gets his face shoved in a deep fryer. Oh, yeah, because he's the cook. See, ah, he's that. Southern fried. Yeah, and look at him with his backwards baseball cap. Look at him. Yeah. So, anyways, there we go. So that's been spoiled for you, Joe. But we should watch Jason Goes to Hell sometimes because is that it's where they tone. is that the reference in Scream Queens when they shove that girl in the in the deep fryer? Maybe I don't oh. know if that. I mean, th- there's lots of deep fryer. That's a good uh, place to 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 capture some horror. I think is the idea deep of being fryer? shoved into a deep fryer. Yeah. Uh, I definitely when I was working at different restaurants, we had deep fryers. You always have those like flash like. <laughs> like, ah, it's so hot I don't want to let you know. uh, I actually got some pretty bad burns from the deep fryer I think I probably still have one on my uh, elbow here where I caught um, 
where I caught the side of it. It, it like cut me and also like burned and cauterized the wound at the same it was awful it was such a horrible experience damn so i probably still have the scar somewhere i just can't remember what i think it was this elbow Ew. anyways this is so visual uh <laughs> look at this scar y'all um okay so r.i.p leslie jones <laughs> i'm starting a rumor now no leslie jones is laughing well Les dog um, Leslie Jordan, jeez. Um, see, now I'm off on, mem- on down memory lane thinking about burning my arm off. Uh, but yeah, rest in uh, sissydom, rest yes. in queer power, uh, Leslie Jordan. Yes, will. He, he he will definitely be seriously missed. I uh, I was I was really. Uh, I still can't believe it's real. Yeah. Yeah, I was like search. I was like, what? No way! Like this has to be some kind of you know, mistake, but. Anyway, so before we move on, you wanted to talk about Margaret Cho. So the reason why I bring that up is because I went to a Halloween party um, the weekend before Halloween, uh, the Saturday, and I was at <laughs> I was at this party, and there were a lot of great costumes. Like um, I was a finalist for the costume contest. Me and my two friends we went as the first wives club at the end of the movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so we were all in white. And, I've yet to see photographs. But um, I will show you photographs. I'm uh, sure they'll come out. <laughs> we did not know if anyone would get it, but we. Uh, so my friend had. Did a you night. do the whole song and? Dance? We did not do the whole song and oh, dance, okay. but we had. Um, we didn't know if anyone was going to get it. So in a stroke of genius, my friend was like, well, you know what we should do? We should print out a picture of Stockard Channing as Lizzo, as Rizzo, because Stockard Channing in the beginning of the first wives club, for those who have never seen it, right. by the way, spoiler alert, um, she's the friend who's like the impetus for them all getting back together. She commits suicide. Yeah. And so we print out uh, a photo of Stalker Channing from Greece and we were carrying around as a, as a, as a memorial. So that way people would get that we were the first wives club. Um, yeah, it was fun. But anyway, there, all of that to say that one of the costumes there that was really great, but also made me like, you know, stay on the other side of the room was this guy, he was Carl Lagerfeld and first of all had no fan so I how very dare exactly did he have Choupette what is Choupette the little cat no he had none of <gasps> he that he didn't even have a little he had kitten the, to carry around he was like he was also very thin so he had like um, you know hair in the bun with like the you know the little the pompadour, pompadour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then he had the thing and he had the glasses like he looked like Karl Lagerfeld from when I when I briefly glanced at him I was like oh I wonder if that's John Travolta from Pulp Fiction oh. and then I looked closer and I was like no is he fucking Karl Lagerfeld and Get he was gloves. I know and I, gloves. and I and I stayed I stayed away from him because you know as a fat person, I feel like I do not want to be associated with Carl Lagerfeld <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. You know, there is no famine of beauty when you have the body like this. There we go. <laughs> um, it's very Andre Leon ta- tally. Yes, exactly. It is a famine of beauty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <sighs> and oh, another R.I.P. Yes, another Jeez. another. Uh, we're losing them all. Mm-hmm. We're losing them right. all. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to just mention, casually mention that uh, highlights costumes, highlight costumes of that whole experience were uh, the hosts of the the hosts of the party were Ken and Ryu from Street Fighter, and like me being like you know 
I played Street Fighter a lot yeah. uh, at the at the laundromat that we used to go to on Guam when our washing machine would be out. And this is also at the same time, like I would put on Bonnie Raitt on the, <laughs> on the you know, turn down the lights, up, up, down, down, up, down, down, down. Um, and so Ken and Ryu, um, there was a guy there who was Ruby Rod um, at the opera from uh, Fifth Element. Um, there was a very adorable man who was um, slutty Winnie the Pooh, which was I thought was really really hot. What it, all he, he Winnie the Pooh already just wears the shirt. Like I know I was like when what they was said, he doing when they said he was going to come as Winnie the Pooh. I was like, is he going to wear pants? Uh, so it, it was it just like a was he only wearing a red har, uh, chest harness? No, he wore like a <laughs> he wore a crop top red shirt. I see. and he had like he had a t- he had like a tattoo with a heart that said piglet and he had honey tramp stamp over his ass um so that was fun and then of course like it would not be halloween in 2022 if we did not have at least one evelyn wong from uh everything everywhere all at once and she like covered in googly eyes no she had just the one googly Uh, eye so it's evelyn wong at the very end okay but she like I thought she got the outfit word for like word perfect because yeah. she had like the little jumper thing and yeah, it was good. Her her friend that she was with was Pai Mei, but Pai Mei he didn't have the beard and everything. But she was like, Oh my god, he's gonna be so happy that you knew who he was. Yeah. And I was like, Well, yeah, because I am, you know, I am learned You are everything everywhere all at once. Exactly. I am learned. I am a culturista. I love it. How fun. What did you do that night? You also had stuff to do that night, right? Which night? Um, the night of... Uh, the night that was not last night, because we are recording... This is released in November, not... Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, today's November 7th, Joe, so I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we had our little Halloween shindig. You know, we got rained on, which sucked. Uh, I thought the sky was uh, sending me empty threats, and it it did not this time. <laughs> yeah, because you know it's San Diego; they're always threatening to rain. Yes, uh, and it started. It was like there's a forty percent chance of rain at seven o'clock. Then it was eight o'clock. Then it was nine o'clock. Then it was ten o'clock. Then it was midnight. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to worry about this because you know the sky is a li- is a liar. Yes, the sky is a lie. The sky is a lie. So condescending, looking down upon us. Um, so I. Yeah, so we just had our usual little kind of get-together we've done the last few years. I've really scaled it back. I used to have, you know, you remember, I used to have big, huge parties and pack the house with people, and it's just like, anymore, I just kind of want, like... I mean, I even told somebody at the party, because they were like, this is really fun. I'm like, you know, I'll tell you, I'm really glad you're having a good time, but I'm just going to be really honest. Like, I kind of do, this is just for me. And the fact that other people show up is delightful. <laughs> like, I set up a screen outside, and we watched The Monster Squad, yeah. and then we watched um, uh, Trick or Treat, and then I was going to play, like, Rocky Horror or something else, but, you know, whatever. The, it started to rain. And it started to rain while I had come back inside the house for a refresher, so people just started grabbing stuff and, like, running inside. I was like, what's happening? They're like, it's raining. But of course it had done it earlier. Remember it spit on everybody and yeah. really freaked out a bunch of people went inside. And then I came back out because I was like, oh, this is Yeah, this it is wasn't really even nothing. raining. Yeah. But then it really started to rain. So it was a bummer. So, <sighs> but once, so the plan for the actual day is always just to lay around and watch a bunch of movies and give candy out to children, which is still the plan. Nice. 
since again, this will come out after the day. Uh, I'm going to set up the screen again outside because I would like to watch the original Halloween, like outside with a bonfire and stuff going, or not a bonfire, but you know, a little fire pit. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Once the once the trick or treaters are done, that's how I'm going to do. That's that's my Halloween. Mm-hmm plan that's what i kind of did last year i think i spent all day watching the halloween movies watch the whole thing this year i have a different like it's a mix it's i've got a few like you know spooky movies that i want to watch and then um looney tunes cartoons that are like the halloween or monster theme nice uh the new treehouse of horror from the simpsons like stuff like that it's yeah. gonna be a real like it's uh, bag. it's uh in line with what we've been doing which is exactly you know gateway exactly yeah yeah uh so i'm not exactly sure what like official horror movies i'm gonna watch yet but i'm sure whatever they will be they'll be fun mm-hmm. and whoever joins will join or not, and I will just be here by myself, enjoying myself yeah. and my popcorn, and I might order some a uh, bunch of food and cakes and candies and other things for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> by the time this comes out, it would have happened, but I, um, I, on the other hand, on Halloween, uh, will be in Los Angeles with uh, our friend Wendy. Los Angeles. Um, we are huge Dancing with the Stars fans, and we got tickets to be in the audience for their live taping of the Halloween Dancing with the Stars. Oh, how fun. I've been to a taping uh, of Dancing with the Stars. What? You yeah. have? Yeah, years ago, Melissa played. So. Oh. <laughs> of course. Yeah, so Melissa Etheridge was there playing. It was during like Fearless Love, so it was like 2010 or 11. Oh, my God. And we won tickets. It was really fun. It was a good time. Like, it's weird to watch TV get made because of the way yeah. it's like they had to record things a couple of times for like the music performance of yeah. it all and like the dance sequences and stuff. So it's it's really interesting to watch it happen. And because I don't follow Dancing with the Stars, I always had no idea what was going on. I was like simply there just to be, see oh, this Melissa. Is cool. We, yeah. You know, we get to be part of this, and we're on television. You could see me for like two seconds. <laughs> My our little group, you know, that was that was together because uh, they made us like dress up and stuff. They were like, you know, you might be on camera. And we might put you somewhere where, like, you'll be seen. So you need to look kind of you presentable, dressy, you know. So it's like I, I had like a button-up shirt and a cute vest, and I just, you know, we were all like feeling ourselves. And then you can't even see us. Like we were like in this dark part of the set. I'm like, okay, that was silly. I could have just been more comfortable, but it was a blast. So I'm very excited for you, and I can't wait to hear about the. Uh, can't wait. It's yeah. Halloween, so they're encouraging us to wear costumes. So awesome. I have no idea what I'm going to wear um, because. One of the, the one of the things on the ticket is like you know we would try not to have a costume that has like established IP. Yeah. So which is difficult because that's all I want to do. Right. Um, so I have no idea what I'm going to do. Yeah. Well, you should definitely wear your muumuu and your blonde wig that uh, people yes, can see exactly. featured upon our Instagram in our Suspiria remake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that shit is so funny to me. I love it. Alrighty, well, I think that's probably enough of that. So we will move on and take a quick break, and then we'll discuss uh, Halloween ends. Jeez, how'd we get here? Hey, everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Krista Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps 
perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. All right. Welcome back. So today we are, man, this is like, what, four years in the making now, I guess, since the I guess, this, yeah. Yeah, Halloween uh, 2018. Yeah, we're talking about Halloween Ends, now streaming on Peacock. Uh, <laughs> or I guess you could still see it in the theater. I, I don't know. Who knows anymore? I can't follow that. Uh, this is the 13th installment in the Halloween franchise that I, I did know. There's so many of these damn movies. Anyways, Halloween Ends, uh, the follow-up to last year's Halloween Kills, which again was the sequel to Halloween 2018, which was the sequel to Halloween 1978. <laughs> in a new retconned, kind of. In the multiverse. <laughs> right, it is. And now there's like weird connections. It was like we're doing a whole new thing, but not really, but kind of, I don't know, very interesting uh, journey we've yes. been on. With this new trilogy. It's Halloween everywhere all at once. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, again, directed by David Gordon Green. Uh, we got Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, Andy, is it Matichek? Matichek? I'm not sure. sure. Rowan Campbell. Uh, Will Patton. Maybe that's why you keep saying. Oh, um, Will Patton. Not Bill Paxton. Right. <laughs> <laughs> William Patton, not yep. Bill Paxton. That's that's there you go. That's the name of the episode. Uh Kyle Richards and of course James Jude Courtney returning as The Shape. As the Shape. As Mr. Macomaz. Um and yeah, so the film is does some unexpected things. Did some stuff I, I I didn't know what to really expect, but it definitely wasn't what it turned out to be. But is that good or bad? I don't know. We'll see by the end, right? Mm -hmm. Joseph, Joseph. What did you think um, of Halloween Ends? I, you know, watched it not opening weekend, so I watched it with other... I watched it by myself. Um, I was house-sitting. I was with a little dog, and um, I was waiting for my Uber Eats to come. And uh, that first scene happens, and that little kid... Oh, by the way, spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, yeah. People yeah. are listening and don't know by now. Yeah, then stop <laughs> listening. So, you know, that kid just, like, dies. <laughs> just, like, eats it. I fucking bounced. Bounced, and like, I... Boom, boom. I was like, shit! And I went... I literally went, oh, shit! And the dog started barking. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, that's how this is starting? And I was like, okay. Yeah. I'm feeling good. And then it was what it was, and I was like, "Okay, what a good, what a good strong start." But overall, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I feel the same. Uh, you know, there's like a petition going around <laughs> for people to have it like redone. I don't, you know, whatever. I don't whatever. Like, like get over <sighs> it. It was what it was. Yeah, I. Again, it's not what I... I really did think that they were kind of bringing it to this kind of... It was going to be like this final showdown between Laurie and Michael over the whole course of the film. Which, obviously, it still came to that. It did end that way. This movie takes kind of a different direction. And what I really love seeing, and I don't know if you've seen this out there, is that people are saying, um, this is, you know, even though it's like a follow-up to a John Carpenter film, it's actually a remake of another John Carpenter film, Christine. And that Michael represents the car. So ah. you have... 
so much so that that Corey, the the guy, the the uh, he wears uh, glasses the and then of he it. doesn't. Well, but and his last name is Cunningham, Corey Cunningham, which mm-hmm. I think that's uh, was it. Art, what's his name? That's Ar- right, Ar- Arthur. Oh gosh, I forgot. I wanted to look that up. Um, Nineteen eighty three film. Look at that. Um, Arnie. Arnie, that's right. That's right. Yeah, for some reason I wanted to call him something else. Um, Ar- Archie or something. But uh, yeah, Arnie Cunningham. <laughs> well, that's what, you want to call, that's what you want to say, Archie Cunningham, because yeah. that's the, yeah. That but, makes sense. Uh, but Corey Cunningham, you know, yes, got his glasses, uh, you know, finds Michael and slowly starts to, you know, become evil, uh, if it wasn't already there. Um yeah, uh, it also you know it also has elements of grease too. Gets himself a motorcycle. Now he's a cool rider. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I was reading that and that like made me like oh, giggle because I'm just cool like that's kind of delightful that this is suddenly a a secret remake of Christine. I love this theory. <laughs> Although I think when our, I, be- I kind of love it more now that <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's just been this kind of a lot of this like talk, and you can find articles and stuff, and I'll link one in the in the comments about whether or not it's a a low key uh, Christine rehash. Uh, but again, you know, I guess it just depends on if if we'd think that Corey is um, a good person to begin with. Mm-hmm. You, that kind of hooks on to that idea, you know. So you have this accidental thing, and I get that's kind of like the whole thesis of this like the generational trauma conversation that's been happening within the within all three of these films linking back to the original 1978 film yeah uh, and the idea that like it kind of infects and, and poisons and so something so horrible can happen and it just kind of perpetuates and you know so this kid gets you know blamed for you know an accidental death uh, and again that kid was being a real dickhead and that's what happens when you fuck around and you find out yeah. <laughs> you know like geez kid you're an asshole so yes. um, let's play that for your nephews like, yeah exactly <laughs> don't come to Uncle Joshua's house and you know, you know like, fucking around yeah, you gotta <laughs> find out find out <laughs> um that's terrible. But, you know, it's tragic. You know, again, it's just another tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy and loss. And, you know, they do the whole thing at the beginning where, you know... Uh, Rip from the headlines. Right, All exactly. of Haddonfield. Yeah, you know, the whole past that Lori has experienced. You know, now she's writing her memoir or whatever. Her, um, what is it? Um, what's Sydney's book in the, like, <laughs> Something of the Darkness? Her version. She, she and yes. uh, she and uh, Sydney Prescott, Laurie Strode and Sydney Prescott are going to do a dual book. Uh, oh, wouldn't that be amazing? Together. Um, what was that called? Out of Darkness. Shit, I can't remember. It's in Scream Four, I think. <laughs> Sydney Prescott. Anyways, yeah, Out of Darkness. That's the movie that they should make. We should bring Nev Campbell back. It's like Nev Campbell goes and meets Laurie Strode and they go kick Freddy Krueger's ass. You know what? I would love a super fucking meta version of the Final Girl support group book yeah. to be ad- adapted with, yeah, like Adrian King. Um, Heather Langenkamp. Heather Langenkamp. Because there is a character called Heather who uh-huh. like battles a dream monster um, or a dream killer. Uh, Laurie, Laurie Strode. Strode Nev, um, Sydney Prescott. I would love to see Nev Campbell, Jamie Lee Curtis, like all of them come and play these characters and like, it would be so campy and so hokey and so on the nose, but I don't know. I'm kind of here for it. Yeah, um, <laughs> playing cognates of characters that they created and like inhabited. Uh, although I think in the book they do, I, I 
think, because I think that's a big plot point, is that the Friday the 13th character was actually a black woman who got whitewashed. Uh. So our story was told differently. Uh, so it wouldn't, you couldn't get Adrian. We'd have to get somebody else. Maybe Brandy would be available. <laughs> yes, Brandy. You know, she could play, you know, from... Uh, have you ever... <laughs> I still... I know what you did last summer. I still know what you did last summer. Is I still know what you did yeah, last summer. Yeah. Those are movies. I've only seen the first one with any real. They're at the resort in like the off season. Uh, that's that's yeah, still yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! Look at me. Yeah, look at you. Look at me. I oh, did I just did I just school the master? Mm. Anyway, so you know you're getting this, and it's so funny because I'm sitting there thinking like, because for me, like a big part of like getting out of like my past like trauma and the stuff I had was like I ran like I got out of town. You yeah, know, I left my whole life behind and kind of restarted. Yeah, and so there's part of me that was thinking about like kind of how difficult it can be to do that though because we love places that we live and because I'm sitting there like Lori, oh my gosh, move to fucking California or move to Spain, like. Oof, far away. Yes. And if I was that Corey kid, I feel like I would want to do the same thing. Like, I need to get out of this town because it's going, like, I'm never going to be able to, like, survive this situation. Well, especially him, right? Because, yeah. like, Lori's whole thing is, like, you know, Michael was a plague that visited her in her safe space. This right. is her reclaiming her safe space. Yeah back he is like made to be a monster so it's like why wouldn't you want to leave because the story like in the in an alternate universe this kid leaving Haddonfield is like the start of a lifetime movie about how he has a dark secret but is in love with a woman who owns a tea shop or something like that's that's what I, I, if there's anyone who should have left, it would have been, it should have been him. Yeah. But I also get like, again, it's hard. You're kind of trapped. You're young. Mm-hmm. His family's there. The only work he can like seem to get is with like his eyes. That is uncle. I think uncle or stepdad. I, yeah. I was super confused by their relationship and I watched it again today and I, I forgot to like really hone in on whether or not I think it's supposed to be an uncle. Okay. Um, okay. I was just going to, so then like the mother's brother, or something like that, which I can't wait to talk about the fucking mother. Yeah, Joan Cunningham, and then Corey. Oh, it is. It says stepfather. Corey's stepfather. Her okay. name is Joan Cunningham. Yeah, I know. Right. It's delightful. <laughs> There's so many, like, just on the nose things that it's, you know, it's whatever. Um, yeah. And actually, you know, we can we can talk about the mother a little bit. So, uh, again, not to get too crazy academic, but... We just read for my, um, I have a systems uh, theory class, which, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, looks, we examine these different theories of like family systems. Sure. Family systems theory. And so. Is this your like Encanto class? (laughs) Yes. The (laughs) class that we watched Encanto and Crazy Rich Asians. And we watched an episode of Rick and Morty and we're doing Coco next. Ah. So look at that. Yeah, and we apply family systems theories to to them. You know, we talk about enmeshment uh, and triangulation. Um, anyways, so one of the chapters that we just read, um, I think it was Salvador Mnuchin's book. Um, he does a whole analysis of Ted Gazinsky, the mm-hmm. Unabomber, mm-hmm. and he talks about how he was like 
super like emotionally fused with his mother who was like super over functioning kind of was very involved in his life and was super constantly worried about him that he was going to turn out like not okay like it was kind of the opposite of a lot of like what you hear about like serial killers or people who commit violence where they're very abandoned or neglected sure. or you know this was like the opposite it was like too much involvement and so from like a family systems theory you know the way that their family operated kind of allowed him to sort of develop a lot of the um um what do you want to call it the um shoot like you're not, um you're not being quizzed so. i know but i'm just thinking of like expectations like un um gosh damn what is the word i'm looking for like unreasonable there we go like i'm being right now <laughs> screaming unreasonable <laughs> expectations of of what other people can do for you you know when so when you have parents who are like like helicopter do everything for you and make sure that your life is always safe and like all this. so when you get out into the real world and you meet people who are like yo fuck off like you don't know how to deal with that you don't have to deal with the emotion like the rejection yeah. and these yeah. sorts of things and so that's like a big contributing factor this person believed in it and analyzing the family and the family history and the family dynamics that like is a big reason that some of what he did happened because the family also because they were so worried about taking care of him they also didn't want him to think there was anything wrong with them so they avoided like family therapy and getting him the help that he needed um shame embarrassment guilt all of those things play into that so you know kind of the best part of his life was when he was like alone in that cabin like there was a time in his life where he was like actually kind of happy being away from people and then he was forced back into it and that brought all these like issues back to the surface that eventually led to him sending the first bombs that failed. And then eventually he, you know, started succeeding because he got better at practicing it. But anyways, all of that to say that in watching this movie, I'm like, we should watch this in class because there's a lot of enmeshment, a lot of uh, fusion with the mom. She's super involved, super weird, kind of over, you know, over functioning with him. And, you know, and everybody's like trying to like help make like, you know, his life, instead of like, yeah, I think maybe he would have been better off because he would have never met Michael. Like if he would have left and been sent somewhere else and like taken care of from a distance in that sense and could could have had a chance to start like a new life. But instead he ran to Michael Myers who infected him with his evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody, there was one thing that I read where it was like, uh, an analysis thinking at first and watching it that Michael was actually dead and Corey was like inventing him in his head. That's what I yeah. thought was going on as well. Oh, yeah? What made you think that? Well, you just like, I mean, he, I remember the end of Halloween Kills. Like, he, they basically like, you know, Rasputin'd him and <laughs> he just wouldn't die. Yeah. And so, like, you know, he's like this, uh, what, octogenarian, septuagenarian at that point? Um, like, you know. Either late 60s or yes. Well, I guess, yeah, by the time it's four-year jump, he might be se- almost 70. Yeah, so he's like almost 70. He has like a bunch of bullet holes and like he he would have needed medical, like just logically in the wor- in the in the world. And so then like having him like be literally like a troll under a bridge <laughs> and having Corey meet, uh, Cor- Corey, right? Was yeah. Like, having Corey meet him was just like very... Like, is he inventing him because of, like, his own, you know, neurosis, psychosis? Because that's also what the whole first part of the film set up, is that the idea that, like, like, this terrible thing happened, then he still killed all these people and we never found him. So, like, he's still out there 
haunting this community and he's the boogeyman, right? So he's still, he's still haunting this community. And then Corey goes and has his own break and then starts to embody that because he himself has been made to feel like a villain. And so now he gets to haunt them. Why not take up the mantle of the most famous boogeyman that Haddonfield ever had? Right. Which ends up happening in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like in a more literal way than that. Yeah. And I would have, I would have preferred it. I would have thought there was more to, I would have preferred it if it was like, Oh, he was a figure of his imagination and we didn't know that it was actually him committing the murders. Uh, and then at the end when Lori kills him, like, you know, he, she kills Corey, not Michael. Right. And realizes that like, they find Michael's body later and she realizes yeah. that like, Oh, he was infected by evil, blah, 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 yeah, blah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think she definitely knew it was him. She knew Corey was going to show up and try to kill her. Well, yeah, because, you know, she, you know, she has the, that connection, right, that the two of them have. It's like, it's very like Harry Potter Voldemort, right? Like she could see, um, yeah, she could see that. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I did want it real quick because I, I, you know, obviously this is, you know, this is supposed to be an entertainment podcast. Nothing we say, you know, should be construed as like (laughs) uh, mental health advice or anything like that. But um, I just want to say, it's like, I'm not trying to like say um, if therapy had happened, Ted Kaczynski wouldn't have happened, you know, I'm just saying that there are these ideas and I just, you know, I, some stuff may be unavoidable, you know, that's something that I like wrote about. And it is even mentioned in these books. Like we can't, we don't know how dysfunction will present itself, but we can try to do our best to mitigate the fallout from it when we do know something is, is happening. And so that's just, I just wanted to say that because it's like, I didn't want it to seem like I was being dismissive of like the Unabomber and, yeah. and he just needed happened. to touch the earth and right. you know <laughs> yeah get some uh, you know, take some breathing uh, breathing exercise yoga yeah yoga get, get out oil, in the sun take you know? a walk yeah uh, uh, no we know full well that like sometimes those sorts of things don't work and we know that people do get, get into the system and nothing and nothing is prevented but anyway it was just reminding me when I was reading that and thinking about applying it to a film because we're discussing these sorts of things in class and doing these sorts of projects and papers where we're you know applying I was sitting there and it's like everything I'm starting to form that brain now like the mft like systems thinking brain where i'm just like hmm i know it's not always the mother's fault but like this relationship is very unhealthy and they need to get into family therapy (laughs) because maybe we could have avoided all this drama but maybe not because again to bring it back to halloween ends and back to the confusion and back to the horror and back to the well i mean all that's horrible too um just a different, ex- you know, existential horror. Uh, but no, the uh, this um, idea that they're trying to, like, divorce themselves from the past, like the thorn, like the cult of the thorn, which I don't think you know too much about because you've not seen. So we have a few different timelines because you have the Halloween, Halloween 2, H2O, Resurrection, Hall- um, Halloween timeline. Like, that's one thing. Then it's, like, Halloween, Halloween 2, and then, like, 4, 5, and 6, I think they follow, like, their own path, which is, like, the the there's some cult that's like imbuing Michael with his power, like the the thorn, the power of the thorn. The, you know, it's evil or whatever, evil incarnate. Uh, he's this embodiment of it, and that's why he's immortal and like unkillable and this kind of thing. And you know, how he's able to you know, walk like you know some ninety year old man wandering down the street and still catch you miles away. Yes, <laughs> he has dream logic, nightmare logic. Um, 
And then you you have the new series, which was supposed to be more of like, it felt at least in 2018, like a little more of a serious like yeah. approach to talking about trauma and like, what yeah. would life truly be like for these people living? And then we get to the end of Halloween Kills where it got a little mystical. And then this one, it's very like mystical. Like <laughs> Michael is passing his evil on. Like it's, it's something that can be given. He like held his hand, looked him in his eyes. Yeah. And immediately pass all right. the all the secrets. Yeah, he's like, I'm 65, which I think is technically right. I think he was 21 in the 1978 film, which makes him, yeah, I think, I think 65. Okay. He's like, I need a new young body, and he's gonna like transfer himself. Although I'm I'm not sure that's exactly what's happening, but it's just like passing the evil on. Like yeah. it's now it's your turn. Hold up the mantle. We're going to for the rest of eternity. The Haddonfield, Illinois, will pay. <laughs> like why this place? You know that's. <laughs> It's like Murder House, you know? It's yes. just like, for some reason, this town deserves all this horror wrought upon it yes. <laughs> for all eternity, and we'll just keep passing the mantle. Um, but again, there's also like another part of this. So, uh, you know, we read that book, Pizza Girl, for um, this book club I'm in, and there's a really great quote in that in which it's like, I discovered that avoidance is the most amount of attention you can give something. Mm. And so you have Laurie Strode, who now four years later, after all of these events, is like playing happy homemaker. She's decorating for Halloween. She's burning pumpkin pies. She's fucking sugar and light and everything. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. everything's perfectly fine, you know? <laughs> and it's like suppressing the trauma. Like, it just, it's going to find another way to come out, as it does throughout the film. So there is still hints of this, like, really good conversation about how trauma operates in our lives mm -hmm. and how, you know, when we avoid it when we when we push down grief and loss and traumatic events it it will at some point find a way out you know like trauma finds a way jurassic park 1994 yes. or whatever 93 whatever that, <laughs> that was 94 out. i think um, <laughs> oh, that that's <laughs> such a profound quote oh god i need to i need to yeah that. i'm gonna print that out and put it on the wall of my office like avoidance is the most <laughs> attention you can give something because it's so true like the more we try to avoid like really processing things and not just pushing them down i mean obviously she's writing and so you you have this idea that in the future she'll you know be kind of doing something with her book you know in this world she's like a very famous survivor like sydney prescott is within the world of scream so mm -hmm. publishing a book and doing things and going on a tour like you imagine that that could happen for laurie strode as well yeah. and so maybe she will process these things but in the meantime it does feel very like kind of tamped down um, but again, evil finds a way and shows up. Uh, some other things that I was thinking when I was uh, watching this is like, what is up with this like roving band of fucking band geeks? Like, harassing people uh, this road this band of merry assholes yes <laughs> band of merry assholes um <laughs> uh which first I, of all do not first of all do not call them oh no they are band geeks yeah huh? aren't they because they talk about they're wearing their band uniform yes he is wearing the like the jumper and they're like we've been rehearsing all year buy us beer it's like dude like do you, like i'm all people already think i murdered a child and you want me to buy like participate in the what do they call that the, the delinquency the delinquency of a minor. Yes. 
Um, but of course, then they recognize who he is as the whole thing. But they like keep popping up. They're like these nasty bullies. And at first, I was just like, wow, it's like really giving me like Heather's 2019 or whatever vibe yes, of yes. like, you know, the freaks are now the bullies or whatever the whole thing was. I, it, but then I kind of looked back and I thought, Oh, actually, I had quite a few bullies that were in band, and they were all assholes. So, you know, maybe this is, like, finally telling the truth about band geeks. Everybody, like... You're looking me in the eye. Do you... You know I was in band, right? No. Oh, Oh, I think I do know. But I don't think you're a bully. Oh, well, you know. But people like... to you. You know, but I I mean, and I think they had their own bullies. And again, you bully whoever you can bully. I think that's, you know... That's right. Hurt people hurt people. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Which was so funny because, you know, I posted about that thing where it was like... um, go to the high school reunion, but it's just everybody who turns out to be gay. And I'm yeah. like, so me and my bullies. But was <laughs> there were so many people that had like real reactions to that and like sent me messages and like stuff. And I'm just like, y'all, I was like seriously trying to make a joke. Like the idea that, yeah, everybody who called me a fag turned out to be gay is <laughs> fucking hilarious. Yeah. But it's like, I also don't want to spend time with those people. But I've also made friends with some of the people now as adults. Yeah. And you realize that and you recognize things and you learn things about people as you get older. It's like, ah, that's why you're a fucking asshole in high school. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, don't talk to your dad no more. Yeah. Um, that's your enmeshment. <laughs> it's normal. <laughs> it's it's totally fine if you want to cut that relationship Your triangulation, <laughs> your enmeshment. <laughs> Uh, I'm emotionally cut off from parts of my family because of this. It it, it helps keep me safe and uh, safe. (laughs) Safe and sane. That's what I was trying to say. Anyways, um, what was the point? The point was just that, yeah, at first I was like, what is happening here? Because it was such like a flip of like the typical thing of like band nerds, band geeks, you know, getting beat up or getting, you know, being kind of the brunt, the butt of like a joke. And then you have like their their Barb, who's like, I keep calling her. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like their Barb. With her amazing hair. Yes, who's all like, stop, no, guys, no. Yeah. Yeah. But they all get it in the end. And man, they really get it. Especially her. She gets like the worst. I know. I was like, dang, she got it bad out of all. I was like, oh, we didn't need to do Barb like that. Yeah. But again, like, like, I actually, in that moment when it happened, I was like, damn, she didn't deserve that. But did she deserve it in the twisted morality of horror films? Because she knew better and still stayed. Right. Yeah, because she still, yeah, kept showing up with those people instead of like, what you're doing is wrong and leaving the situation. The other people got like direct harm because they were directly harmed. Right. She got the worst of it because she deserved the worst because of all Because she supposedly knew better within the context of the film. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, that was an ugly death. Yeah. Yeah. Man, yeah, they love- Top five kills of the, top five kills (laughs) of the whole fucking year is is, uh, her Her trapped under that fence. Like, you know, yeah, um, um, Michael or Michael's I- I- essence, whatever that is, loves. It, no, that stomp. makes it sound like jizz. Don't say that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the evil loves a good face stomp. Yeah, we, we love. We love a. We love a, a, a head like a pumpkin, which cracks me up because I'm like, man, you have to have real. Like he must have really worked out. And I know it's not him that does that part. I mm-hmm. think it's Corey. Um, but in the it for, is Corey, in 2018 yeah. film, um, you know when he stomps um, the doctor. Um, mm-hmm. The new Loomis, uh, as as Lori so uh, you know on the nose tells us or whatever. So obviously tells us you know ah you're the new Loomis audience. <laughs> That's who this guy is. He's filling that role. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's just like wow, he really worked. He must have really got in his like leg work. You know his leg days. I mean, kid was hot. Like you know, 
that Rowan Campbell, right? Like, yeah, you know. no, I was talking about Michael. Oh, first well, time. yeah, well, that's like true. stomping because I mean, I ha- our heads are pretty hard, you know, really, cr- they don't just yeah. crush like a pumpkin like that. But when Michael does it, or when this court, he's biking everywhere, so he's got strong legs. We know he's got strong <laughs> legs, you know, he he was really hot. Um, can I say something about him and the granddaughter? You can say whatever what you want. Her this, name? The, you you own fifty percent of this business, <laughs> Joe. What did, what did what is the granddaughter's name? Uh, Laurie Strode's the one whose parents died. <laughs> oh yeah, um, <laughs> you said that. So I'm like, wait, who? Um, Allison. 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 So- Allison. <laughs> Everybody yell Allison for the next ten minutes. Um, <laughs> Allison's like that whole <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, go ahead. Allison, what? <laughs> you almost did a spit take and that was delightful. <laughs> yeah, I'm not choked. <laughs> yeah, um, her like her like pursuing of Corey came out of nowhere for me. Part of me was like, do I need to rewind this so that way, like, because I did I look at my phone for a brief second? And it didn't me- come out of nowhere. He got a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> And she went, wow, he's a cool rider. No, he, but she liked him before. <laughs> no, I know. But like, Whatever. it didn't make sense how she's like, you know, like, hey, straight, like, you know, uh-huh. flirting hardcore. Wait, with- did he take his glasses off? Oh, God. Because he had glasses on first. So if he took his glasses no, off. No, he had his glasses on because then he wore okay. the mask and, you know, danced on the floor. Yeah. Like they like, you know, white people danced on the floor like a maniac and yeah. whatever bar Kyle Richards I'm just trying owns. to find an explanation because it's like if he didn't take his glasses off so we knew he was hot. Exactly. Or the motorcycle, then who knows? Maybe it's just like, yeah, it's just a, an attraction to... Uh, it, yeah. There was a whole article about how, like, this movie, like, ruined, like, a f- the feminist, like, message of, like, the series. So, but I couldn't find it again. So, I'll have to look it up and we might have to talk about it again in the future. But, yeah, there was a lot of questionable, like, choices, like, being made overall. Yeah. Like, she- I thought we were talking about this, like, trauma of women. And now we're, like, focused on this new boy. Yeah. And her, like, I, it was very strange, but I, I, I didn't find the article, and and I don't have enough um, personal analysis, having only seen the film twice. I yeah. still don't, I'm still kind of figuring out how I feel about it. It but was go giving ahead. like, so anyways, it was why? giving like true romance, like right. it was very strange, all of that um, whole thing. And then as he starts to like commit murders on her behalf, right. essentially, I'm like, dang. Oh yeah, that cop. Geez. Don't date cops, girls. This is what happens. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> um, the doctor and the nurse that was delightful uh, um, I mean well you know in the again twisted morality of horror movies that right. was delightful but yeah what I, a dickhead it, it happened so fast that I was like wow we are like the only reason it had to happen that fast that it was it felt unearned but it needed to happen that way in such a manner that in order for us to go where we needed to go like to get the killing started, we had to have that background story of like their, her kind of like, you know, attraction slash obsession with it. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. Again, I mean, she's like wanting to escape as well. So I feel like she's, Allison, you know, is, is trying to find a way out as well. And so I guess bonding with somebody else who feels so outside. Yeah. Because Allison also has to deal with the fact that everybody, like, hates her grandmother now. Like, we've come full, like, yeah. circle first. Like, you know, Lori was, like, you know, the ultimate victim. Now she's, like, 
to blame, which she's, I mean, that's in the first movie where she's like, I prayed every night he would be, he would escape. And there was even like a conversation that it might've been her that like wrecked into the bus to like make, but that wasn't explored. But yeah. there was an idea out there that, uh, that I read that it was possibly her in the first film that made the bus crash so that Michael could escape so she could hunt him down. But I'm like, well, why didn't she just stay and shoot him there? So uh, that's weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there is this idea that like she's to blame for her par- playing her part in their relationship, yeah. you know, and pulling him out and bringing him back into this community, and uh, yeah. So Allison has to live with that too. You know, she has to kind of walk around this town dealing with the fact that people blame her grandmother for you know all of this death and all of this trauma. Um, cause again, they've forgotten the root of it. They've forgotten where it started maybe, yeah. or they're just yeah. so infected by it all, uh, and, mm-hmm. a- and affected by it. Uh, you know, so she has to kind of live with that and both of her parents are dead also because of that. So, you know, there's also this, her own trauma and her own blame within her grandmother. So like going with this guy, I don't know, I guess it just sort of makes sense that she's thinking she's going to escape with him, but yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what to... It it still has to percolate a little bit more. I mean, these are just kind yeah. of our initial thoughts on it. <laughs> um, I really thought that Laurie Strode was going to die. Yeah. I thought that would have been a tragic but satisfying ending. Is And to ensure that they never make another film. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, not too sure of that. Uh, yeah, um, you know. Especially with um, Kyle Richards' character set, like... The tarot thing came, I felt out of nowhere. That wasn't in any of it. And then it's like, oh, the death card. It's like, well, yeah, it like represents like, you know, an ending and like new beginnings. And I'm like, hand, hand, wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was like, are we going to kill this real housewife? Like, no, we, you know, it, it was like, wow, she went on Biddy Tarot once and knows about the death card. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's. I kind of wanted her to die. I I, I was kind of hoping, this is really sick to say, but I was kind of hoping that as they're doing this like funeral procession to the, uh, to the junkyard, <laughs> like this police escorted funeral session to the junkyard. Kind of remind me of the ending of Candyman, the original Candyman. Yes. You know, sort of this like, you know, group trauma processing. We're going to have group therapy yeah. and uh, really, really make sure this dude yeah. is dead. <laughs> Um, she when she drops Michael's body in, like part of me wanted him to take her with him. Oh, to suddenly grab her yeah. or something, yeah, or her just to fall in herself. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that have been? That would have been so interesting. It would also have been a subversion on the final girl aspect of it because you know she met her end. She would she would meet her end, um, and not you know not have lived to the end. But I thought I was like, oh man. Missed opportunity there. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. And then, you know, David Gordon Green has come out um, um, and said, like, they never had any intention for this film to be, like, a final showdown between Lori and Michael, even though I'm like, I really felt like that's what you were setting up, though. Like, this whole... All of the know. fucking marketing was like that. Yeah, I really felt that way. Um, but whatever. I mean, I'm not even mad about like the, I mean I'm not mad at all I, it, I'm i very like movies are what they are our responsibility 
you know, to this show is just to wonder about the, you know, the the the, the socio political cultural elements at play within sure, it. Sure. Yep. Yep. Um, I do think it's interesting. So I did find that. Um, this is from the MarySue.com. Halloween ends fails audiences and the Strode women with a disappointing finale. Again, I think that's a bit, you know, bait clicky of an article title. Um, you know, but it does. I, I do think it makes an interesting point. So sorry, I just found it and then I lost it again. Um, although it does uh, ask the question, like, why, what is so appealing about Haddonfield to keep Lori and her granddaughter from packing the fuck up and going to live anywhere else? Like, yeah, I, amen. Uh, but where was the... I, I did like this, so kind of talking about so Lori is accosted repeatedly by town folk who uh townsfolk who blame her for baiting Michael Myers into murder uh which this person says is categorically untrue and be a wild choice I do believe that the original again it's like they've forgotten that like he just showed up you know and attacked her and her friends murdered several people that she cared about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um of course society always blames victimized women um but there's no reason for the town to think she's somehow a villain here. Uh, I do agree that they, you know, they pair Corey and Allison together with this awkward and tentative romance, uh, but they're dogged by their respective emotional baggage. Um, the film is clearly trying to tie their shared trauma together, but it doesn't really match up. I do agree with that. It, it's weird. I mean, it's a weird kind of relationship. Uh, but again, I also think that's a really good comment on you know, our culture, our society for, I mean, this goes on for decades, but it's obviously a big conversation right now, especially in light of the the Dahmer series on Netflix, but like our fascination with serial killers yeah. and true crime. And uh, there are always people who pop up, who write, you know, these men in prison, you know, love letters and what, you know, and some of them get married to you know, like fans <laughs> yeah. after the fact. So there, there's something that can be kind of talked about in there, just in that idea of like, yeah, why, like, why do we want the bad guy, the bad boy? Why is that a trope? Yeah. Uh, but that's still something I think will take some time to really unpack, especially with Allison. I don't necessarily want to be like, I don't think she knows exactly what he's doing. So it's not like she can be cognizant of like, mm-hmm. I want to be with this guy who's murdering people for me. Like that's not what's yeah. happening. Um, although there's, that's a whole psychology that we could uh, chat about. Anyways, I'll share this so that people can, you know, read, Read other things. It's just like Halloween ends has shifted the narrative to Corey. Uh, this person calls him one of the least compelling characters ever. Uh, instead of focusing on the star, Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, it's a baffling choice and one that could only be the brainchild of the film's four white male writers and director. Corey's story hijacks the narrative, leaving Curtis a supporting player in her own damn franchise. Halloween ends is one missed opportunity after another. Uh, squandering everything great about 2018's Halloween. The Strode women and audiences everywhere deserve better. Um, so, again, I mean, that that can be debated of whether or not they deserve better. I do agree with that, though. I do. I was expecting a story to be really focused on Lori, Allison, and Michael and, that, and trying to find some way to, like, work through that. Obviously, they kind of took the easy way out, jumping it four years ahead, so they didn't have to deal with the immediate death of, like, Karen and... Mm-hmm you know, Judy Greer's character and like all the other people involved in at the end of Halloween ends or how Halloween ends at all. We didn't have to deal with any of that. You know, we just, Michael is living in a sewer for four years, uh, eating rats. I I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what he's doing. Um, You know, so I I do think there were some things in this that, 
yeah, I do think Corey's whole thing, I'm just like, is this, so now it's like we're, we're just following a guy like becoming like Michael. <laughs> so it, it, it was a strange choice, but I don't know. I, I'm, I will watch it again. I did watch, I've watched it twice so far. I will probably watch it again in the future. I'm not, I didn't hate it enough to be like, yeah. Yeah. And just because of the inter- the elements of it that I do find interesting and that I do find salient in 2022 culture, when we're discussing trauma, when we're talking about the ways in which we are so divisive over shared trauma that we don't know how to process and don't know how to like deal with because, you know, like in politics, like, you know, we're all suffering so much under the systems in which we live and the oppressions sure. in which sure. we live. And we don't know where to put it because we can't put it on the people who deserve it. So we put it on each other. Sure. I think it's very powerful. So I do think there are things in this that I think are worth noting and taking away when we think about the world that we live in right now. Um, and obviously Halloween ends, I think was a really good like kind of conversation about like insurrection and the Trump mob and that, those sorts of things. So uh, horror continues to be a great place to uh, process. What was it? Um, I think a good place to end is I saw a, a tweet that I retweeted on um, our Fright School account at Fright School. Uh, where you can find all all of our social media, um, but this uh, Candace Frederick, um, she is senior culture reporter at Huffington Post. Um, uh, had bylines at New York Times, Washington Post, uh, Shondaland, Elle magazine, Harper's Bazaar. So just so you have some of her background, and she says horror. It's so, so, so unfairly maligned when it's one of the most effective genres to explore grief, fear, anguish, and trauma. Just wild how some of y'all broadly discarded as trash cinema. Um, you know, and I think this is one of those movies that it's so divisive and a lot of people really hate how it turned out. Other people like it. Other people are whatever. But at the end of the day, it's still, it's having a really interesting conversation 40 plus years after the initial film mm-hmm. that uh, remains really relevant in today's society. So, and that's all we're trying to do here on Fright School. <laughs> Amen. All right, Joe. Well, I hope that you have a good night, and I'll see you again real soon. Bye. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.